Open up your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Go there. And then I have a video for us today. This video we're going to do does not have audio to it. It was surveillance video. And so it doesn't have audio to it. And there are a couple times when I'm going to ask Jay to stop it for us. And so we can point out something to it. So anyone know what this is already? You've already seen this, perhaps? Okay, great. So then go ahead and start it. Let me start. Let me pause for a second. This is a subway. Back it up, Jay, please. This is a subway in, in Perth, Australia. And watch what happens to this gentleman as he's getting on the train. So go ahead and start it. Right there. Stop. You see what happened? He's stepping onto the train, and his foot just slips. And that particular leg slides down between the platform and the subway car. And he can't get it out. So go ahead. So you see what happens. You know, they, they immediately call the conductor. They stop the train. And now they're assessing the situation. And it's kind of like, well, can he get it out? And see, the crowd is growing. Wouldn't you hate to be that guy? Everyone's standing there and all. And now they're trying to figure out. Now, pause right here. Everyone, you see the crowd is really big now. And they're discussing how to get him out. Go ahead, Jay. Watch what they do. Pause. At this point, who among you on that platform says, this is a great idea. (laughs) This is going to work. Let's all push a 42-ton subway train car to get the guy out. Go ahead. See it? It moved. And they pulled him out. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? He was not harmed at all. But they couldn't get him out. Pretty crazy little story, isn't it? So pay attention to that because what I believe is that that story is going to parallel our discussion of the body of Christ this morning. So I want you to to keep that in the back of your mind. Remember that. All right? So open up your Bible to Ephesians 4, chapter, um, uh, verse 4 through 6. We're going to be going through Ephesians 4 and a couple other passages here. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. All right? There is one body and one spirit, just as you are also called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who uh, Father of all over who is over all and through all and in all. Now then, so right there, Paul is speaking about what unites us as the body of Christ. Now this is a really critical point because the previous chapter he's just been talking about two things that had been united before that had never happened before. Slip back to chapter three now for us. Now he's just said. We're united. And he called out seven different aspects of unity. Seven different things that unites us as a body of Christ. And what's really critical about this is because in in chapter 3, he speaks about a mystery. Chapter 3, look at verse 3. That by the revelation that was made known to me, the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. So there's a mystery that Paul has been made known, he's learned of, that God has revealed to him. 
And then he has been given, he is the disciple, he is the spokesperson, he's the, the proclaimer of this mystery. Now, the mystery is, if you want to you know, cut through one of his long run-on sentences, if you jump from the end of verse 3 down to verse 6, and he says, specifically, that ministry is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, you know, that's never been the case before. That has never been the case before for Israel and for the Jews. Because if you are not a Jew, you are not chosen. Matter of fact, if you were Jewish, you were chosen just because you were. You didn't really even have to, and I might be overstating this, but like even the Jews, even the bad Jews, felt like they were chosen of God. They were His chosen people. Set out centuries before as being the ones who God chose to raise up and to glorify and to really make the object of His affection. And no one else was really in that. And then all of a sudden, Christ comes, and he dies, and Paul shows up on the scene and says, things have changed. Now they're part of us. Now we are one together. Now we are one together. So he's speaking about this unity, and he's talking about all of a sudden what unites us. And and he says, and who's being united? The Gentiles and the, and the Gentiles and the Jews in this thing we call the church. Now, this is not the only time he talks about this. In verse 11, he speaks about parts. So let's just go back to chapter 4 now. And so he speaks there, and he says, everything is united. And then in verse, in verse 7, he goes through, and he starts speaking about, about parts. But to each one is given grace according to, according to the measure of God's gift. Verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So everything is united. Everything is one in the body of Christ, but now there's parts also. And that's why the body works so well as a simile of what he's talking about, is that it's all together. It's all tied together. It's all united, and yet there are so many different parts of it. Now then, this simile, this thing about the body, go back to Romans 12. Because in Romans 12, he has talked about it there as well. So let's look at that just as a point of reference. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 also. So in Romans 12, we have it right here. Um, Verse 3. For through grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think as so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each measure of faith. For just as we are many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of their faith. If service, in his service, or if he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, so he shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now then, flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. And there in 1 Corinthians 12, you're going to find verse 12. Paul picks up the same message about the body. We won't read the whole thing, but I want you to see that he is the same concept is being taught here. 
For even as one body, this is verse 12, chapter 12, for even as the, the body is one and yet many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Flip over here to verse 23. He says, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. And he says, and he, in this whole passage, he's talking about that the whole body is one, and every part is important, although every part, that, while the parts are different, and yet they're still united. They're still together. They're still tied together. And so this is a perfect illustration for the relationship that you and I share and that you share with the people across from you and the people that you in your small group and the people that are on your worship team and the coffee team, the sound team. In the sense that everyone is different and everyone has a different role and function and responsibility, but we're all united, connected, important, different roles and functions, but not different value. Now, going back to Ephesians 4... When I read this passage, one of the things, and we, we discussed this at length in our sermon discussion group, which you're invited to attend any time on Tuesdays at noon here in the building. We, ext- we, we talked about this extent because when I'm going through a passage, I come to a place eventually when I say, why? I say, why is he writing that? What's this for? Who's he talking about? What's the goal of this? What's the purpose of this? And so when he's talking about this here, and he says that... that um, in chapter 4, I'm in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he says, we have all these parts. My thing is why. And he begins to go there in verse 12. He says, the why is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ. Well, right there he says, the why is this, verses 12, uh, um, verses 12 through 16. He goes on and says, As a result, we are no longer to be children. Verse 14. Tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Here's this grow up theme. You see it in verse 15. You see it in verse 13. So we are to grow up. And then in verse 16, he goes on. From whom the whole body, here we are again, the whole body, being fitted together and held together by, what, by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the, body of the, the growth of the body. There's the growth theme again. The growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So as we exercise our gifts, there are three things that we can say happened for us here. Three things. One is the unity of body. The second one is spiritual maturity. That's what we're supposed to be growing up in. As we use our gifts, we're supposed to be growing up in spiritual maturity and then being more Christ-like. Those are three things he's talking about in this passage. And in specific, when you come into verse 13 here, he's speaking about something that's kind of hard to get your head around initially. He says that we're to become complete in Christ. He says we're to become the full measure of Christ in verse 13. And the essence of that is complete in him. The, and, and he's saying we are not complete. We, if we are complete, we're not taken by every gust of wind or every current where it might take us. Verse 14. Growing up in him means that when the wind blows this way, that we're, we don't just float along that way. 
growing up in him means that when the current is strong and would lead some that way, that we don't go that way. Growing up in him, in essence, means that we are anchored in him. That those things don't happen to us. And so, therefore, when we talk about spiritual maturity, we talk about being less and less and less influenced by all the things around us that would sway us, that would take us off course, that would take us away from him in true teaching. And so that's where he's going with this. He's talking about that. And so, so in other words, you know the truth so well that falsehood doesn't persuade you. But when we are living a devoted and growing life to Christ and slowly becoming more like him, there, the, there is one distinction that we wanted to, to, to know. That he's talking about here that he comes into verse three, chapter, uh, verse three, chapter 3, verse 10. There's more to the church. It's never about fixing us. Being an anchor, we're, we don't, we're not supposed to be an anchor for the sole purpose of being anchored. We're not to grow up and be like him and, and to, to understand our doctrine and our theology in such a way that we just know it. Instead, the real purpose here is that he says that we are to be revealing the manifold witness of God. It's never about fixing us and giving the best life now or knowing, um, uh, being comfortable or having an answer to every question. It's always about revealing to a lost world the manifold wisdom of God. Chapter 3, verse 10. In order that he's, he's saying, um, let's start, start in verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the ministry, which for the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might be shown, might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. He wants the manifold wisdom of God to be made known. And he wants it to be done through the church. Through you. And through, and through me. And through us collectively. Through the church. The church is, is supposed to be a stage. It's supposed to be a showcase. It's supposed to be a masterpiece of God's wisdom. And that only he's, only, he's saying that happens through people who have come into the full knowledge, to the full stature of Jesus. Now, see, right here, this is where that part of the video, where it's like going, okay, who thought it was a good idea for us to all push a 42-ton cable car, a subway car, and we're going to move it? Who thought of that and said, and then, and who said, okay, that's a great idea, let's do that? At the same way, it's kind of like, who said that it's a great idea to take a collection of selfish, fallen, broken people, and they will be a great stage and representative of the manifold wisdom of God. I mean, it's got, like, is there another plan? Is that all we got? Because it just doesn't sound like a good one. When I look in the mirror and I think that I have a role in that and I think that I have a responsibility in that, 
the thing that I should think is, there's a problem with this plan. And it doesn't seem like it'll work very well. Because it includes me. And then I know a few of you, and that makes me worry also. <laughs> but that's exactly what the passage says. Matter of fact, when we talk about this, Romans, Romans 11, 33 says this. It talks about when you read what he's talking about, and he says, you're going to be the ones who proclaim this. Check this verse out in Romans eleven thirty three 33. says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Romans eleven thirty three. That's what we're supposed to be proclaiming. Pretty crazy. That's what we are supposed to be reflecting, drawing other people's attention to by the way we come to know him and the way that we we represent him and by the way that we reflect him. And then you get into Job 38. You can just mark this one down later. But in Job 38 is where God has had enough of Job 1 through 37. And he steps into the scene and he says, and he just starts out this, he says, and he just says, who are you to give me advice? And then he just starts like getting dressed down like nobody's business. And then some of the questions he says to him, he says, where were you when I laid the foundation to the earth? He says, "Um, have you ever in your life, I love that, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Have you entered the storehouses of snow? That's appropriate for today. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts and given understanding to the mind. And when you read the whole passage and you see everything he's talking about, he's saying, like, who are you compared to this? He's establishing this right here, this, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He's saying, this is me, who are you? But in the, in, in the same instant that... Think about what he just said. This is, you'll have to explain this, Lord. Um, you know, he just said, who are you in regards to all that? And then you, you know, a few chapters later, a few books later, a few centuries later, he goes, you are the one who's going to reflect this. You, as I work with you, as you grow up in me, as you come more like me, as you become in the full stature of Jesus, you are the very thing that is going to showcase the wisdom of God. Now, that should leave us with a couple of questions. Shouldn't it? Does it leave you with a question? Does it leave you with a, like, we're going to push this car kind of question? It should leave us in this place where we're, like, going, you know what? I don't know how that plan works because left to myself, I don't reflect him very well. Left to myself, I am completely selfish. I am completely about my comfort. I am really all about me. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to showcase the wisdom and knowledge of God. Well, I believe this passage answers that as well. Let's look at chapter 4. Ephesians again. 
here he's saying, I want you to know, I'm sorry, uh, I want, um, uh, chapter 3, 17. And this is what he says here. Mm, let's start. Paul is praying. He makes this prayer in chapter 3, beginning here. He starts in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I pray to God for you that he would grant you according to his riches of glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit. This is the answer to the question of how do we do this? See, in, in verse 10, he goes, you are supposed to reflect the manifold wisdom of God. And in verse 12, he goes, I'm going to pray for you about that. Verse 13, verse 14, for this very reason, I'm going to pray for you because of this unimaginable task that is before us. What God has asked of us, I'm going to pray for you about that. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you will be rooted and grounded in love. Here he is. This is telling you, he's telling you how to do this. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints that is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled up to all fullness of God. So, in verse 10, he said, we've got to move a subway car. And in verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, he says, this is how we do it. He does it. He does it through you. He does it through you. And so this is how he demonstrates himself amazing. Is that he takes any one of us in this room and he says, I know how broken they are. I know how selfish they are. I know how much they're not about anyone else but themselves. And yet that very person is the very person that I'm going to take and I'll use them to demonstrate my wisdom my glory. In other words, what he's doing is he's taking a tool that is not fit for the job and he makes it work well, perfectly, without a flaw. He does that. And he says, this is how I demonstrate my wisdom. This is how I demonstrate my power. This is how I demonstrate my glory. You see... And and what he does with that, and the way that that happens, and this is the body of Christ thing, is is the way that that happens, it happens, we become like him, not because we study more, that works, that helps, that has to be part of it, not because I pray more, that works, that helps, that's part of it, but it happens because we're in the body of Christ together. It happens because we're in relationship. See, because that's the way God is. God is in relationship with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's in relationship. He thinks they're important. He comes and he offers us a personal relationship with him through the death of Christ. He thinks it's important. And so here is God. They're in relationship. God is in relationship with us as individuals. And then he goes, now you need to be in relationship as well. As a matter of fact, he says, the way that you become like me is through those relationships. As you exercise your gifts, what does he say? Chapter 4, he says that each of us are to exercise our gifts, verse 11 and 12, so that we can equip 
all of us for service and so that we can build up the body of Christ. We exercise our gifts, and as we exercise our gifts and as we are in relationship with each other, we begin to be equipped for service. We begin to be built up in Christ. We begin to become what he expects of us and what he needs of us to represent him well and to to demonstrate that manifold wisdom of God. See, we don't come together as a church. We don't come together as a church to try and bring, to, to try and be a bigger church. We come together as a church to try and be more like Christ. It is not the quantity that is the most important thing. It is the quality that is the most important thing. Our, our, we say that we exist to be and to make disciples of Christ. Well, that's what he's talking about in here, that we cannot be a disciple or make a disciple unless we're in relationship in the local church. So, here we are. This is the thing. This is the point. This is the purpose of the church. We're, we're bringing you and I into maturity in Christ, the measure of stature that begins in the fullness of Christ. You see that it is impossible for us to push the subway train, any one of us by ourselves. Who would have thought that was a good idea? Well, as that video so uh, beautifully demonstrates, is that the things that people think won't work is usually the very exact thing that God says, I'll make it work. It reflects him when he does it that way. And so he said, you know what? The manifold wisdom of God, I'm going to choose to demonstrate that through people. Through broken people who, even after they come into a relationship with me, they're not completely fixed. They're getting fixed. And they won't be completely fixed until they're with me in heaven. And so he puts us in relationship with each other to bring us into the image of Christ, to perfect our faith, to build our character. Did you notice that in the video, they didn't go throughout the platform and say, we're going to need to move a subway car. Um, you know, uh, Carl, I'm sorry, you're too old. Um, you have, you, you're too blonde. You're too you're a woman. We can't use you. I think you still got something in you. We'll take you and you. I'm sorry, Meacher, you're too cute and small. But, but everyone else will step forward here, and you're going to move this subway car. You didn't see that happen. It was every person on the platform has a role and responsibility right now to get this car off of this dude. So step forward and push. Every person has a role and a responsibility. Step forward and push. They didn't ask for anyone who'd been trained in pushing subway cars. You didn't have, they didn't say, who has gone to subway car pushing seminary? We'd like to have you step forward right now. Um, who's been through a particular subway car pushing class in your local church? We'd like to have you step forward right now. They said, we have a job to do. Everyone step forward and push right now. We need you. We need you. Here in our church... Everyone is needed for us to become more like Christ. Young Christians, and I say that in the context of youthfulness, as well as I say that in the context of brand new Christians. Old Christians, 
And I say again, I say it in the context of age as well as being a Christian a long time. We need trained Christians, formally trained as well as untrained because they balance out the trained ones. We need young people and old people, people from church backgrounds who don't think you can dance in church. And we need people from unchurched backgrounds that are asking why we can't dance in church. We need people from every background. We need people who are broken and are so broken they just don't know if they'll ever be fixed. We need every person in our church to help us become more like Christ. And this is one of the places where we really fail. And I really came to understand this recently. And I didn't ask permission to share this story, so you guys can talk to me later if you're upset. Um, we, we, I recently saw this story in the last snowstorm. The place where we really struggle with helping each other come to know who Christ is, come to grow in Christ is this, is we find it very hard to ask for help and say, I have a need. We don't like it. One bit. But in the last snowstorm, Jay Gregory was out of town. And so he said, can you, can you just check in on Chris? And so that day, the st- snowstorm came. And um, Grant and I went over. And Grant had a new snowblower. So he blew it off and all. And it was a big deal to Grant to get to do that. It was a big deal. Grant would have had the opportunity to exercise the gift of service, which I believe is one of his spiritual gifts, unless Chris had said she had a need and let us come and meet it. You understand? That when you say, I don't need anything, and I'm talking to some of y'all eyeball to eyeball right now, when you say, I don't need anything, you prohibit other people from getting to become more like Christ. You limit people from getting to exercise their spiritual gifts of generosity, of service, whatever it may be. We have to be, we are people in need, we just like to hide it. And so as we become people who are more honest about our needs, we become people who let other people step in and become more like Christ. That's one way right there. We have young families in our church who are wondering, what it means to parent a child in Christ. They need some of our older families who have done that to st- come alongside of them. We are, it's really great because right now, I believe that every young Christian in our church, I think, I might overstate that, but I believe every young Christian in our church is currently being discipled by an older believer right now that we know of the best of our ability. That's what we want always. That only happens in relationship. Timothy, the disciple, that is, has, he has his own book in here. He was discipled by Paul. And he was told to take that which I've taught you and to teach it to others. That's the way it works. That's the, what he intends for us. In relationship, we need each other. And we need each other to be in relationship with each other. And it doesn't have to be a formal sit down and read your Bible. It doesn't have to be that you know something. It has to be that you know Jesus, and you'll sit down with someone and you'll pray with them. You'll sit down with someone and you'll listen to them. You'll sit down with someone and you'll just be with them. 
And at the very least, that's what it is. Every person in here is qualified at that level. And that's often all that's needed. So, when we consider moving a subway car or displaying the manifold wisdom of God, everyone gets to join in that effort. They get to push. They're all needed. Everyone is needed for us to grow up and to become complete in Christ. That word in 310, the manifold wisdom, it really means multicolored, multifaceted wisdom. And I've used this illustration before, but I just love it. In stained glass windows, they're made up of many, many, many pieces of smaller glass. And when all of the pieces of glass are put together, it becomes a beautiful thing. But whenever, if there was one piece of that glass that was missing, everyone would be attracted to the missing piece, not to the picture as a whole. And so we, as a body of Christ, when we step in and we are being the body of Christ, we are demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God. In such a way, as the world looks at it and goes, that's really different. The rest of the world is not like that. There's something about those people who call themselves Christians. There's something about those people who proclaim Christ. That church over there, or the church, really is unique. In essence, the church reflects the manifold wisdom of Christ. When all of us are engaged in relationship, using our gifts being served, and serving. And that's when the stained glass, all the pieces are in place. That's when we are looking like him and reflecting him and representing him well. All right? Let's pray.